0: In second Timothy one, nine through ten, if you want to open there. This is There's going to be a couple overlap passages from last week, if you heard Jonathan speak on suffering, which was amazing if you did not hear it in here. I was, me and my wife were teaching 5th and 6th, the Lord's work, that is the Lord's work. We were teaching 5th and 6th, and I went back and listened to it on the podcast. My gosh, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. If you have listened to it, listen to it again. It's amazing. Let that just saturate you, how we respond in suffering. Today's gonna be a little different, though we will have overlap. Today's about consecration and what that means for us today. Starting in first or 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10 reads this way. I'm reading out of the NLT. Your pew Bible might look different. For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning, from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now, he was made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immorality, immortality, not immorality. Jesus doesn't highlight the way to immorality. Come on now. (laughs) Just making sure you guys are listening. Immortality through the good news. Amen. Thank you for immortality. And not immorality, Jesus. (laughs) So what Paul's doing here is he's taking a familiar idea that's been throughout the entirety of Scripture, like literally from page one of your Bible to the last page of your Bible, there's this theme that ties everything together. And it's called a variety of different things. But for the sake of today, it's like God calling his people to a holy lifestyle and what that means. And, and believe me, you hear the word holy, you hear the word consecrated. These are really big churchy words that I want to kind of break down a little bit. You might already start having pre, like, misconceived uh, conceptions on, on what that is, misconceived, preconceived misconceptions. We're struggling. I, I just told Kat I didn't have coffee this morning. Um... But God, it, it starts, this holy living starts with God telling Abraham, He'll be a great nation in which all nations will be blessed. And in this way, God's people would resemble, and this is what's beautiful about this, they would resemble God as active representations of His character. That's it. That's why God is called. He, in Genesis 12, and you could even go back to the creation of man where He blesses them and, and, and ushers them outward. I'm blessing you to be a blessing. And so what we get from this baseline of scripture is blessing comes upon and through God's chosen people. This way was always God's way. He wanted to work through his people. Uh, and it was in Christ that this was actually fulfilled. And the good news that Paul's referencing in 2 Timothy 1, 9-10 is, is not just the good news, the gospel, the four spiritual laws that we've come where it's God loves you. You are a sinner. Hey, here's Christ. He'll help you out. And now you get to go to heaven. That's not the good news that we're talking about. This is way more relevant and pertinent to our daily lives today. It's not just, he's good, you're bad, believe he's good, you'll be good in the end. That's not it. The good news is that you get to live righteously today because of Christ's work then it's lived experience, and it's available to every person who calls himself a Christ follower today. So, I would say it's now possible, and not just possible, it's expected that the people of God would resemble the God they serve. And thus, through Jesus and by the power of his spirit, which is so important to consecration, it's Through Jesus, by the power of his spirit, we can live consecrated lives in the world. And in fact, that's exactly the uh, the case Paul's making to Timothy in this letter, is this is the only way to live, to really live in the last days, is through this means of consecration. So, baseline for the rest of our talk today, the Christian life is meant to be experienced through a, a consecrated life. So let's unpack what a consecrated life looks like. What is consecration? It's a fancy word. It's a churchy word. You don't hear someone be like, man, that meal was consecrated. Like You only really use it through this theological sense. And so we can sometimes be like, what does that even mean? Really simply, it's like to be set apart is what it means. Or to be made holy going back to that holy living. And I, I said, consecration and holiness at the beginning. I want We're going to get to consecration. I want to do something really quick with holiness that the Lord, I feel like, gave me about a year prior of what holiness actually is. It is not about your perfection. If you understand holiness as you being made, well, I'm not going to say it that way. If you understand holiness as being perfect, you've missed it. God is holy And things that come close, things that are proximate to God, are made holy. So, the point of holiness is not perfection, it's proximity to a man, to a living God. And when you get close, as you move inward, things become holier and holier. And so that is, we have to establish that if we're going to get into consecration. And here's the beauty of it all. That's how you were made to exist. You were made to exist in the presence of God. And something happens where that was ripped, it was frustrated, it was distorted, and through Christ, it has been restored. You have been made one with him again. That's the hope. That's the good news of Christianity. So... Now on to consecration out of holiness. There's this misconception with holiness. What is holiness? For the longest time I thought, or sorry, consecration. What is consecration? For the longest time, I thought consecration was sin avoidance. It's, it's, it's setting your life apart, literally like I'm setting myself away from sin because if sin comes into my life, I'm no longer consecrated, and now I'm compromised, Oh no, it's not sin avoidance. Consecration is the life in which we live righteously. It's not moralism either. It's not this this idea that, oh, I can do this. You see this terrible beard on my face. It's because Brooks and I had the great idea that... October was going to be not the spooky month. It was going to be the month of consecration. So we went to the Nazarite vow. Like, we're not shaving our faces. We're not cutting our hair. I did cut my hair on September 30th. (laughs) But we're not going to shave our faces. But consecration is way more than that. It's the reality that in Christ, we get to live righteously. And that's way different than living in a a life of on your back foot of avoiding sin. It's no, I'm moving through the world righteously because Christ is my righteousness. And he's made the way. We were in the prayer room before and thank God for prayer. Thank God for the people of God. Thank God for Cindy Conant because she said something in there that I was like, oh my gosh, it's so right. How did I not even think about this as I was preparing for consecration? In the, in the Bible, when someone would be consecrated, they would pour oil over their head as the as the prophetic act of you've been made, now you've been set apart for something. And she, as she's praying, she's like, "I've got this this picture that the Spirit is anointing the heads of of the people in here. And the word I have is mindset, and He's shifting the mindsets. And that's exactly right. It's exactly right. As this oil gets poured over your head, as you've been consecrated, you've been set apart." Something's different. When David, before he was consecrated, he was a shepherd boy. After he's consecrated, he's a king. That's a mindset shift. I'm not just tending to sheep in the field anymore. I'm the future king of Israel. And guess what? From the point he was consecrated to the point taking the throne, it was about 30 years. 30 years. So, his mindset was still changed enough that in those 30 years, he's like, I'm preparing to be a king. I'm doing kingly work right now. Though I'm not in the office, I'm doing kingly work. And so what that might mean for us today as a church is we're in the in-between time of Jesus ascending and now descending, coming back, the second coming. We're living into the future of the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, because that's our reality, even though we might not see it fully yet. Can I get an amen? It's a really good life. That mindset change is is right. It's right. We have to change how we think about ourselves since being set apart by Christ through his spirit. 2 Timothy 2.20-22 says this, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. I'm going to repeat that part real quick. You will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. One quick note here. The way they translate, you know, Jonathan used a big fancy word the other week. I'm going to use a big fancy word here. Youthful lust is literally the Greek translation of epithemias. Okay? So epithemias is these two words, epi and thymion when you bring it together uh epi is focusing on something fixing your eyes on something and, and Thymos is is like a passionate desire so this isn't just when you hear youthful lusts it's not just sexual sin this is any urge that you have prior to this life in christ that dominated you it could be greed lust of money it could be the gluttony, just the, the hoarding of things. It could be sexual, but it's not just sexual in nature. So I want to be very clear when we say youthful lust, this is, this is any urge that's compelling me to act foolishly is a good way of define, defining that. But I want to hone in on something here that I think is beautiful. Um, he, Paul is urging uh, urges one to focus on their new life and the capabilities that accompany it, accompany it by the work of Christ Jesus and the gift of his spirit, which, in, which now indwells the believer. What I mean by this is as he goes through this little parable, almost, of talking about the special utensils and the ordinary utensils, it's, you're not set apart because you're better. You've been set apart for a purpose, your use is now different. It's not I'm in a higher place over these ordinary things. No, that's what Satan would want you to believe because now we're having hierarchy which doesn't exist in the kingdom. Well, not in that way of lording it over one another. What this is is, like I said, you're consecrated, your mindset changes. I'm now used for something completely different than I was once used for. And so as our mindsets change, so do our actions. And I would say sometimes our actions have to go before our mindsets. We have to remind ourselves who we are. What what is it? Did Christ really die so that I could live like Christ today and be a light, be salt? Yes, I would say yes. That's exactly what it is. And it's hard working that out. But that's the life you've been afforded in Christ Jesus inherently the work of consecration results in oneness with god which i think is the most important thing about consecration think less about the set apartness and think about being i've been set with this because the set apartness again creates distance think about set withness i've been set with christ who is right next to the father who's on the throne That's where you are now. That's where you operate out of is a posture of victory, a posture of humility, a posture of service, a posture of obedience, a posture that says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what, guys? The consecrated ones are the agents in which that that, that, that goodness, what's going on in the heavenlies is made manifest in our world through the consecrated ones. The ones found with God. One with God. Before we get on to what's the point of consecration for today, that's really nice to know that that's what it is. Just reading this, I had this, this, this thought. A life consecrated is a life positioned in Expectation. A life consecrated is a life positioned in expectation. And and what I think is important about this is as we understand that we've been set apart to be used by the master for every good work, that means that we're eagerly expecting him to do something through us. Not just to us, but through us. The work's already been done to us. So consecration leads to expectation, expectation leads to visitation, and visitation results in consummation. You like that? Was that pastoral of me? Do you want me to break that down a little bit more? Like, consecration leads to the eyes fixed on the one, who, the master. My eyes are fixed on the master. Tell me what to do. And as we eagerly expect him, We're going to be met with him, like he met by him. Like he's going to show up in our midst because our eyes are looking for him. And it's not just a one-time visitation where he's just, "I'm popping in, hey, what's up, see you later." No, it's like, again, it's that oneness when he shows up, we are transformed in a way. Where I would say, other than consummation, you could say oneness, you could say fullness. But the result of that visitation is the reminder that we have been made one with Christ. And nothing can separate us from that. And so, what's hard about consecration and moving into what consecration means for today is a yes. It's saying yes to the master, which means there's a hundred no's that you have to say to. But these are lesser things. These aren't, these aren't just things that um, we might think they're competing for interest, that, they're, that they, these things are better, but really, we're saying yes to the best thing. We're saying yes to the, the main thing, the one thing. And that one thing actually filters out into all the other things. If we will actually devote ourselves to the one yes. We can't make plans with everybody, you know? Believe me, I, calendars, I suck with calendars. But I say yes to meeting with Grant Humphreys, which is a good yes. Say yes when Grant Humphreys asks you to hang out. But if I say yes to Grant Humphreys, he's like, hey, 1130, Tuesday. And then Brooks is like, hey, dude, I've got this, I've got this thing on, at 1130 on Tuesday, you want to tag along? I got to say no, because I've already said yes. Or I can compromise myself and look like a fool and be like, oh, let me see if I can finagle my way out of this thing with Grant so I can do this other thing. No. When you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to a bunch of other things. But the, the, the person you're saying yes to is the master who's wanting to use you, who's wanting to be with you. So consecration today... Think about how I want to say this. John Tyson has this podcast um, that talks about consecration. He actually, he says it this way. What consecration, why does it matter for today? This is really cutting, but it's true. Consecration helps us recapture our holy imagination for what's possible in our day. And in that is, is the indictment that the church has grown comfortable and bored. And our imagination has been dulled. And it's time to have the Holy Spirit come, almost like sharpening a knife when it's rusty. You just gotta sharpen that thing back up. That's what, that's what consecration does. Doing, posturing yourself with him through consecration is actually the means in which we sharpen ourselves to not just be um, oh how do you want to say this chase help me lord I'm dancing around it and I'm just going to have to be brutally honest this is my my nature is to be like ooh I'm not going to say the hard thing Jonathan's so good at that I wish I was Jonathan in this moment our expectations of what God can do in this day are way too low and it's time for the church to awaken up to what is possible in this life. We did not say yes to Jesus in order that we could come to church once or twice a week to be filled up so then we could go back in the world and not really think about it much anymore. Like this is daily invitation. A consecrated life is daily invitation to saying yes to God, to being used by God. And our imagination has been, the, the way he describes it is actually in like church planning. He's like, the, the best case scenario for the evangelical church in America is a, is a bigger platform and more people in the congregation. And that is way off from what it needs to be. We need a move of God. And we look around, it, we've talked about it here at Skyline, with all the things going on in the world, what's going to capture the hearts of people what what the church would say right now is better strategy. I'm sorry. We're strategized out. We have great strategy. And the church is in shambles and so is the world. And that I don't know who actually said that, but they said the sign of a sick civilization is a sick church. We're dull. And this is brutal, and I'm so sorry. I want this to come across with like, because I've been convicted of this this week. We've become doled out. Maybe it's by the world of like, ah, oh, dude, this is so hard. And let me hear you say that. Let, let hear me here. It is hard. It is hard. But in Christ, not only is it possible, it's necessary. For the church to look like him, to be like him, to speak like him, to do the things that he did. He said, greater things will be done. It's better I go. Do we actually believe that? Do you actually believe that better things will happen in Oklahoma City because he left 2,000 years ago to go be with the Father? Like, do you believe it? I, I want to want to believe it and it's hard but we focus so much on sin and the work of the enemy and we don't focus at all on the one who set us right and gives us power wake up church not just for the world's sake for our own sake we're living on, on God's move Fifty years ago. That was 50 years ago. The world's changed and God's want to do something new in this day. He needs a people consecrated. He needs a people with an imagination of like, what would happen if I actually gave my one yes to him? What would happen? Don't think about all the Don't think about all the no's because there's a million of them. What would happen we read Bible stories of these people. They're ordinary people who went through their ordinary day and the only thing that distinguished them from the world was they said yes to the master and they believed in their whole heart that whatever they did, God would make it right through them. They were ready to be used by the master. They understood this set, set withness, that they had been set with Christ. He was returning. And so now let's go make disciples. Not let's go gain salvations. No, let's go go be Christ so that others can meet him, experience him, and then they can go do the same thing. In our imagination, the way Tyson would say it, and Brooks, you might need to help me in this. Sorry to call on you. Beard looks great. (laughs) What he talks about in this podcast is... It's the loaves and fishes analogy. And he's like, they've got five loaves and two fish. And so what the, um, what the church wants to do today is they say, hey, we can, we can feed seven people. And they put all of their energy, all their strategizing into feeding seven people because all they see is five loaves of bread and two fish. What the church needs today is to recapture the idea that 5,000 men can be fed with that. And that we got women and children that aren't accounted for, but church, do we think that way? I don't always think that way. I want to. My heart of hearts, I want to. I know it's possible. I went off script there. But I want to. And he ends up talking about you have, you have all these great evangelists, uh, revivalists, whether it's Wesley, William Seymour with Azusa. Um, you got the women, the two women, and Duncan Campbell at the Hebrides Revival, which actually bleeds its way over into North America. You got Jonathan Edwards. You got all these guys. He goes, they had the same Bible we had, they just had a better imagination. They actually believed what, what it's talking about in this book isn't just nice and fun to, to store up here. They believed that this was possible and true for us even today. I want to be like that. I want to be, I be a, a follower of Christ that actually believes that Jesus is going to do something in our day. I, don't, I, love, I love what Billy Graham did 50 years ago. We ha- like, our church is tied to that movement. There's people in this church. This church is the way it is because of that movement. But what God's doing now is he's like, I don't want you eating yesterday's bread. You're not living on leftovers. I've got something new. I've got something new. Lord, give us eyes to see what that is. So in in closing here, like consecration is not the avenue in which we adhere to legalistic tendencies. It is the way in which we double down on our desire and devotion to God. It's not about doing all the right things. It's about being devoted to the one who loves you. We talked about it this morning in DBS. He loved you first. He made love possible. He made oneness possible. And to settle for anything less than that would just be tragic. It wouldn't be sinful. It would just be tragic. We'll see him and we'll be like, oh. Band can come back up here. Yeah, consecration is the response to his extravagant gift that was poured out and lavished on us. That's what that's what consecration is. Paul begins his letter to Timothy identifying his mission as this: being sent out to tell of the life he the father has promised through Christ Jesus it is because of Christ that we prepare ourselves to be used for every good work for the master his whole mission is rooted in wanting to tell people proclaim what your life was possible of because of Christ Jesus i think we lose sight of that and if i could be honest least through my reflection, I think too much about myself. My lens is myopic. I'm I'm, I'm focused too much on, on inward things, things that I need to fix, things that aren't right, rather than just fixing my eyes on the one who is right and who has set me right. And just like that consecration analogy, when we pour the oil over our heads, our mindset shifts. When you, when you declare Jesus is Lord and you're filled with his spirit, the mindset changed where I have to start reminding myself of who I am the way he sees me. Because the way he sees me is the true way that I am. That's my real identity. David wouldn't have been a good king if he only focused on, well, I'm only a shepherd, you know, I'm only a shepherd. He wouldn't have went and fought Goliath if he thought that way. Goliath blasphemes God. And he's like, who's going to stand up against this guy? Do we not know the God he's cursing? Like, He's the only one in Israel with the imagination to understand through our God. We can do anything. This giant's nothing. Wonder why God chose him. This is how Paul finishes his letter. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his approaching three things that this passage provokes. One, it's the consecrated that God uses. You want to be used by God? Consecrate yourself. Devote yourself to him. He'll use you. I promise. It's the only qualification in the kingdom of God. Devotion. Surrender, not strategy. Two, God re- rewards the uh, the consecrated with a crown of righteousness. Do you know that the inheritance you have can be accessed now, but there will be a day where he puts a crown of righteousness on your head. Paul is confident of it. Are we confident of our reward? Not just, who, not just confident in the man we serve, the one who empowers us. Are we confident of our reward in him? Because that's how it works, guys. It sounds weird. This is where the prosperity thing gets off. But he has riches set aside for you. Riches. And lastly, the the beautiful thing about consecration is where I want to kind of land this thing. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. You don't have to say yes. You can say yes to the other stuff. But I promise you, a yes to the one thing better than yes to all the other things. It's an invitation. He's an invitational God. He's saying, will you tarry with me a little longer? That's what he says in the garden. When he shows up in the garden in Genesis 3, where are you? It's always invitational. Come be with me. Come be one. I sent my son to you so that you could be one with me again. Not so that you could accept that yeah, you're God. And then go on and live your own way. It's not. It's not it. It's not the fullness of what's been offered to us. And so, so church today, I just want to ask us: like, where's our desire temp at? Like, where is it? voted yourself to him in the past and you're like yeah chase i get it you're 28 i'm not it's hard life's hard it's gonna hit you with a ton of bricks man lord would i never lose the enthusiasm that i have in this moment that a consecrated life is worth it because right now I have the faith to believe that a consecrated life is worth everything I've got not just for my sake, for my family's sake, for this church's sake and for this city's sake and so if you have been beat up by the world, if you did devote yourself you've been beat up who hears voice come be with me again take that burden off your back. I didn't put it there. I didn't bruise you. Let me bandage you up. Come consecrate yourself to me and see what's possible. See what I can do. Again, I just want to say this. God's blessing comes upon His people and is enacted through His people. Would Skyline be a church that receives the blessing in these times but but through us ushers the blessing out there and when people ask what is the difference it's not just Jesus it's, it's Jesus and let me tell you about why you can live in freedom and not just say it not just believe it because the Bible says it why well, I can walk you through this is how the Lord freed me from this thing in my life it's through consecration. I gave everything to him, and guess what? He's given me more than I could ever imagine. I'm free in Christ. I'm, I was made right in Christ, and there will never be a day in which that is not true. It's the work he did for you. If it sounds like a cop-out, that's the enemy. It's a lie life you've been offered in Christ is rightness with God, which means not only are you made right with him, it's you get to participate in with him in making things right in this world today. So not just today, but tomorrow and for the rest of our days, we will be the consecrated ones. I'm prophesying skyline. The consecrated ones will be the ones who participate with God, not just because we know who our God is, not just because we know who we are in God, but because we actually believe that He wants to do something in our day. And we want to be the people He wants to do it through. Because He's going to use somebody. So use me, use us. Pray for us, and, and as I do that, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up here. But if you if you want to receive prayer, find them. If you just want to have a moment with the Lord, just come to the altar and have a moment. Just come say yes. Devotion is is worth it. Surrender is worth it. He doesn't send us out up, he sends us out to be like him. And in those moments where you were beat up, I want you, I, I pray that right now, Lord, for those who have gone out, who have done the thing, where like, I've devoted my life, I've consecrated it before, and I feel beat up. Would you show them where you were in those moments that you were beat up? Because you took lashes. We don't suffer alone with him and he suffers with us he took lashes he was nailed to a cross and he did it with joy it was the joy set before him because he knew what God was going to do through that obedience what could God do to one yes today in your heart and whatever it is that you're thinking of I promise ten times greater Minds that we would not just know you at a heart level, like just being our intimacy would expand for you, but would we know what's possible with you? Forgive your church, your bride, the one that you've called to sit to be set apart for having such low expectations of you and being fine with eating crumbs on the table when you've invited us to a feast. result of consecration is oneness with you, Lord, then why would we say no? We I wanna be one with you today. Would we be one with you today and forevermore? Thank you that, that that was made possible because of you, Jesus. And thank you that you've sent your spirit to indwell us, that we have a helper, an advocate, someone on our behalf that's reminding us of who you are, who we are, and what's possible. Lord, pour yourself out on us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.